Welcome to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Hume, the managing editor of the Lancaster Patriot, a newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and beyond. I'm joined today by Joel Saint, pastor of Independence Reformed Bible Church here in Lancaster County. Joel, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here again. So today we want to talk about the question of have we fought the good fight, Joel? So we are now past the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, definitely a disappointing turnout for those of the Republican Party and many conservatives disappointed by what has happened. And the fallout from that has been, you know, people asking what's next? What do we do? Have we been doing the right thing? Do we need to change our strategy? So we want to talk about that today. And we want to talk about this idea of have we fought the good fight? Have we fought the right fight? Have we been in the right battle? Have we been using the, the right tactics or weapons, if you will? And, and the reason I chose that, that title is because of something Ron DeSantis said, which we'll, we'll bring up later. Uh, he did win re-election in Florida, and uh, he brought up, he quoted from uh, 2 Timothy, I believe, where the Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. So that's the way Ron DeSantis is presenting his political uh, campaign and victory, and many here in Pennsylvania uh, are very discouraged and disappointed by what has happened. Uh, however, we got to this point. It looks like John Fetterman will be the U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. Josh uh, Shapiro will be the governor. So uh, people are, are disappointed, discouraged. And I want to start off this talk, Joel, by some thoughts that Andrew Torba shared, uh, basically reacting to the midterm elections and, and the results. And uh, he sent out an email. Uh, Torba is the founder of Gab, uh, Gab.com, I believe, and, and yeah, Gab.com. And he sent this out. And uh, the title of it is The Path Forward, Balkanize and Build. And the idea with Balkanize is, okay, we need to, uh, the United States, is, it's collapsing. We need to have these little segments of the country where maybe it's a red state here or a red community here uh, that is going to be, you know, governing on conservative principles. So he spells this out in his email. And he says this, he says, we are the new pilgrims. We must move to deep red states, push them further right, build and secure a future for our families. He says, uh, conservatism, ha conservatism has failed, uh, has been trying to conserve a country and a culture that is never coming back and has long been gone. So again, you could read the whole email. I'll try to link it in the description here. But the general idea is, at this point, what Torba is saying is, I mean, he was very involved in, I think, the you know the election up leading up to it he supported Mastriano uh, very optimistic about what Mastriano could do and now that the election has the results are in you know obviously people have different views on those but now that you know Mastriano has conceded Torba is saying okay well you know this whole thing has failed and and it's over and so now we need to uh, kind of just basically move somewhere where there's a more conservative presence and just try, try to build. So I think I want to start with that, Joel. And the question I want us to consider in this episode is, you know, has, have, has the, the fight been the right fight? You know, have we lost the fight? And, and what fight is it that, that we've lost? Have we been fighting the right fight? So let, let's start there. I mean, what are your initial thoughts just as you consider, you know, the election results, especially here in Pennsylvania, but even across the nation you know, and, and the reaction that people are having. I mean, I know you interact with people, you speak at some events here in the county, and people seem to be, you know, reacting to this very emotionally. 
So what are your initial thoughts on this and on, on Torba's kind of response to it? Yeah, uh, we certainly haven't been playing the long game like our cultural enemies have been playing the long game. I'm thinking back, um, Charles Potter, the Humanist Manifesto back in the 30s, talking about the fact that um, you know, the human, secular hu humanism is going to be taught. Now, the Christians, he basically said, aren't going to like it, but what are they going to do with their one hour of Sunday school when we have the kids for 20, 30, 40 hours a week? What are they going to do? And he said this, and it was a call to arms back then, Chris. Mm -hmm. It was a war and a fight and a battle back then. So now are we even fighting that battle? And I, I, I say we are not fighting that battle, meaning this. He was saying, we're fighting the battle over your children. Mm -hmm. We're out for your children, he was saying, right? And what would... I ask, I mean, this is a hard question to ask and an even more unfun question to answer. What's the answer? Well, you know what? You can have our children, Charles Potter. <laughs> Think about it. They're saying, we want your children to teach them against your values. And what did we say? What, Chris, what are we still saying? We're still saying you can have them. Right. Um, I would say, you know what? If we're going to fight, we can start right there. We can fight for the next generation. So and very specifically there, your, your point is Charles Potter and these other, these other people taking over the government school system and saying we're going to indoctrinate the next generation on socialist, humanist, anti-Christ principles. Right. And, and the Christians, the professing church, really not you know, raising a finger against that. And even today, the way that we continue to capitulate to this is by sending our kids to the government school. I'm telling you, Chris, it's the idol that you cannot touch. You know, if, if, if I'm speaking in a, uh, in, with, with an audience of, let's, let's say, other than my own church, and I touch, I touch that, uh, that, that government school thing, you, you know, I so often get pushback on that. Now, for, for, from Christians, what do, the, what do the pagans have to do? What do the secular humanists have to do to tell us we want your children. We don't care about you. We care about your children. You're going to die, and we're going to have the future. Mm -hmm. what, what more do they have to do? It was said back in the 1930s, and it's being said ever, ever since, Chris. And so we have, you know, you want, I get it, Torb is talking about fighting the fight. I say we haven't fought the fight. The, the fight is over the next generation. And that's one fight that we have. Yeah, we're fighting now. You know, we want, you know, some people want Republicans in office. One of the questions I received recently in, in a, at a speaking engagement, it was, well, shouldn't we be teaching our children how to be congressmen, how to be judges, how to be township supervisors, etc.? And my response was, well, we first of all have to teach them character. Because if we don't teach them character, I don't want them, if they have bad character, I don't want them to be a judge. We already have bad characters as, as judges. We, we certainly don't need that anymore. One of the points was that I had to address in my talk, too, was how do we handle the next generation? And I had a couple of points. i just tell you my points for very quickly. First of, all, first of all, we need to have a next generation. We need to change our view towards children. Uh, they're not... <laughs> this, this is how I think they're being presented in mainstream uh, uh, entertainment and media. It's two ways. Children. Are, uh, one way to present them, Chris, is kind of like an enhancement to the family picture. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you already have a dog, you know, it'd be really cool if we have a kid in here, a child. So kind of like as decoration. The other one is children as disease, right? 
be careful or you'll get this. Mm. It's a child. <laughs> you got a child. <laughs> we need to change our attitude towards children. We need to, first of all, have a next generation. The second thing I, I said was we need to teach the next generation. And I can tell you who's not qualified. Isn't it crazy we get these, uh, these questions? Of, well, are you qualified? Oh, I don't know if I'm qualified to teach my own. Well, Chris, I can tell you who's not qualified. Anyone who wants to uh, teach them that a boy can be a girl. Right. And a, or even a boy or a girl can be a kitten and need a litter box in the bathroom. Right. Not qualified, Chris. Right. How have we fought that fight? I'd say we haven't fought at all. That's why we're losing. Right. There's two ways to lose, right? Fight and lose and then not fight. That's a way to really lose. And I think that's us right now. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's actually go to this Ron DeSantis quote. And we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about Ron DeSantis per se, but he, he won his reelection in Florida. All right. And it's considered, you know, maybe one of the few conservative uh, bright spots in the midterm elections. But he said this at his at his uh, victory speech. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race in the first term, and I have kept the faith. We've accomplished more than anyone thought possible four years ago, and I have only begun to fight. So the question that I have for Governor DeSantis, and then more general for the conservative movement, and especially as Andrew Torba looks at you know, the failure, uh, I guess, of what people would say, the conservative movement in Pennsylvania, uh, with Fetterman and Shapiro uh, winning, is... Are we even fighting the right battle? And I think when you, you, when you bring up here the, the issue of government school, I mean, that's a huge part of this. You know, what have we been doing since the 1930s? Have we been attacking the government school system in principle and saying, this is a bad idea, this goes against God's word, the state is not to have the authority over the children, and maybe it started with some good intentions, but quickly it came to the point where the, the state has now uh, become humanistic and socialistic very early on. It didn't happen with Barack Obama, right? It happened long ago. And so in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, you know, yeah, if you compare it to today, okay, it, it was less evil, right? Uh, but it was still, it was, the, the foundation had been laid for a humanistic, socialistic society so, and, and indoctrination. So the, the fight has not been, hey, we need to abolish the government school system and teach what God's word says about education, what God's word says about civics, you know, civil law. And I want to get into that. We, that's not what I'm seeing these men fighting. I'm not seeing Ron DeSantis or, or even Doug Mastriano fighting with the weapon of thus saith the Lord. Here's what the word of God says. Here's the problems. Here's what got us here. And here's how we need to deal with it. What I'm seeing them is saying we're fighting against the liberals, uh, you know, continual advance. And we failed to stop it. So we need, we need to give up. It's kind of what Torbert's saying. I know he's not saying completely give up. He's saying re-strategize. And DeSantis here is saying, no, I'm not, I'm not giving up at all. I'm not changing my strategy because I've, I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this victory. But again, you've mentioned government education. We could talk more about that and some other areas. What would it mean to actually fight the good fight here? Because I think we're both saying we really haven't been. What, what, what would we start to, how would we start to explain, okay, let's actually start to fight the good fight and fight the right fight and fight with the right weapons? 
Certainly. And speaking of fighting, fighting with the right weapons, you know, it's funny how we can stand up and we pastors can stand up with Ephesians 6, right? And we love that passage of Paul and the spiritual armor, right? The helmet of salvation, right? The shield of faith, um, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, mm-hmm. right? And in Hebrews tells us the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. I would argue, Chris, that for the longest time, we have been told specifically by our Christian leadership right. that that is the last weapon we need. In fact, that's the weapon we need to put back into its sheath. Don't use the word of God. Don't bring in biblical doctrine to the realm of politics. Try to enact change by using yeah, secular arguments, maybe maybe rationality, but whatever you do, don't bring in the Word of God. I, I just had a talk with a friend of mine who who who, who said he was a little, he was a little bit frustrated with a friend of his, right, whose son was experimenting with porn, and I even don't even like to say experimenting with porn because you don't experiment with porn. Porn experiments with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he, he was saying how, my friend was saying he was frustrated in his discussion with his friend because his friend was saying, well, don't, don't do this because it'll, it'll cause you problems later on. Mm-hmm. And was just staying away from the idea that, no, don't do this because Christ very specifically says, you don't look on women to lust after. You mm-hmm. don't do this. Right. Start there. And we are not interested and have not been interested, I would argue, for at least a generation with starting there, starting with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And even worse, as I've said, Chris, we've been told that that's the one weapon we're not allowed to use. Mm-hmm. The only one that God says he'll actually, he's actually sanctioned is the one we're not allowed to use. And I would say it this way. We don't want to use that, word, that, that, that sword because we want people to think well of us. And you know what? They'll think well of us as long as we don't ever use our sword. Right. If, if, all we, if all we ever are is in retreat, they're, they're happy with us. Right. And I think of those Old Testament prophets, as I know I say again and again on, the, on your show, probably a, a broken record here. But what I want to emphasize right now is that God had said to them, you be sure that you get my word right. Don't mess with my word. And you know, the older I get, Chris, the more I understand that. Because the tendency is for them would be to not offend people, but offend God. Mm-hmm. And when you are speaking to cultural issues, you have one group you're going to offend, probably, and one person you're not going to offend if you're going to do it right. We have chosen the way of not offending the sinners, but offending the God who speaks to sinners. That's what we've done. And really, it should be opposite. We should be concerned about offending God by messing with his word and not and, and, and make sure we don't offend him, even if we do offend the hearers. Because, uh, let's face it, the, 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 the message that the prophets gave was pretty offensive mm-hmm. uh, in many cases. Even the good news is offensive, Chris. You know, you're lost. You're a criminal in God's universe. That's good news because it's actually true. Right. And you'll never get to the really good news that Christ died for sinners unless you understand that you need a a Savior to begin with. How are people even going to know that if we're trying to make them feel good with whatever we say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you've touched on, that's the key point here. The Word of God is the the sword of the Spirit and the means by which we are to take dominion, 
the, the direction we are to have is from the Word of God. So the only solution, the only way we're going to defeat secularism, liberalism, is in the power of Christ and His Word. And that's what many Christians will give lip service to. They'll have a rally and they'll talk about Christ, but then in practice, the Word of God is absent. And when it's applied, or when, when that worldview is applied, the conservative worldview is applied, there's no reference to Christ's Lordship and His Word. And I want, I want to give one example here. Actually, for, before I do that, you, you brought up you know, pornography and lust, and I think that's a good point because in the church you see, even in the church, the professing church, a reluctancy to lean on the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says about this sin. First of all, it calls it a sin. It doesn't say a mistake. It's, it's always a mistake. It's, it's shortcoming. It's, it's a sin, yeah. right, to, to engage in, in lustful thinking, of which pornography is, of course, uh, the paramount example. But So this is, this is a sin, and it's a vile sin, and it's a sin of which you will go to hell if you are not repentant. Right? And that's not how the professing church, at least in my generation, has dealt with that sin. It's been, well, we want to try to understand where you're coming from. You know, you've fallen short. And, and it's not how the Puritans dealt with, with sin, as an example. And it's not how Paul did in, in, in Romans. You, know, you need to put sin to death. Uh, and as John Owen said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. So even in the professing church, we have abandoned the word of God as the means and the weapon to be victorious. Right? And so now in the civil realm, it, it's been the same thing. And, and pe- it's very hard for some people to understand that the Word of God applies to the civil realm. And on top of that, that we should stand boldly on it. And I think that is a huge, huge uh, sin. Right? It, it is an error, but it's, it's also a rejection of the authority of God to say, well, your Word doesn't apply here. So... I want to give. I want to give one. I want to talk about abortion briefly. We've talked about it before, but just with these midterm elections, and there were some referendums in there. And to me, this is an example of the failure of the, the conservative movement because it has not sought to uh, make have its victories based on the Word of God. So, Kentucky. Okay, there was a referendum in Kentucky. To, I, I, I think I know the definition of a conservative win. We didn't get beat as bad as we thought we would. That's, that, that's a conservative win. As, you know, we're, ret- we're in retreat, but we slowed down our retreat. That's a win. Right. So, you know, Andrew Torbers from Pennsylvania, obviously our home state, he's reacting to the disappointment in Pennsylvania, but it's not simply here. I mean, that's one of my, I guess, one of my challenges with, with Andrew Torbers' email, and I can agree with some of it, but, hey, we need to move to these deep red states and push them further right. Well, first of all, even these red states have capitulated. And if you go there without the standard of the word of God to change them, the results are going to be the same. And that certainly wasn't what we've been trying in Pennsylvania. We, you know, as, as many good things we might say about Doug Mastriano, uh, and there certainly are some good things, but it was not the, that campaign was not focused on the word of God as the standard. And so I don't think it could be successful, even if he won. I don't think it would have, it would have taken us to a place where God would have blessed us. So, but you go beyond, let's go to these red states, Kentucky, okay? Generally a red state. Rand Paul, the Republican senator, he garnered nearly a million votes, okay? 913,000 votes over against the Democrat Charles Booker, who received just, uh, he received 564,000 votes. So almost double, you know, that the Republican Rand Paul received. And yet... Okay, 
742,000 Kentuckians voted against the pro-life amendment that would, would have went into their constitution. So what in the world is happening in Kentucky? Right, this was the no right to abortion in constitution amendment. It was on the ballot as a legislatively referred constitutional amendment on November 8th. And the measure was defeated. The text said this would have been added to the Constitution. To protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect the right, a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. And that failed. There were 52.3% against it, over 742,000, and then 47.7% for it, 675,000 and some change. So this, Joel, is the fruit of Dobbs. Right. Uh, and and I said right away when Dobbs came out, this is an unjust ruling. It's a weak ruling. It's unjust. It's wicked. And even this amendment is fairly weak. But the, the majority of Kentuckians said, well, yeah, we don't even want that in our Constitution. We do not. We, we be, and the reason for this is important is because Kentucky, after Dobbs, they did enact some legislation that limited abortion. But without this in the Constitution, it's going to be challenged in the courts, and the pro boards are going to say, well, hey, this didn't, this didn't get into our Constitution. These laws against abortion in Kentucky are against our state Constitution. So th- this, this, is the fruit, this is the fruit of Dobbs. So, but I want, I want to look at this briefly. Even, even the laws in Kentucky right now that the pro boards look at Kentucky and say, this is, a, this is a horrible state. Their laws against abortion are very strict. But, Joel, I want to ask you this. If I had a law which said, or if there was a law in our state that said, Joel, you cannot murder, right? You are not allowed to murder. And then the law also said, nothing in this law may be construed to subject the murderer to any criminal conviction and penalty. What in the world, what kind of law would that be? Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's certainly not a just law. Right. It's posturing, maybe. Right. You can't murder, Joel. Yeah. But if you do... The law actually protects you yeah. from any criminal consequences. Yeah, right. You're kind of reduced to, don't do that. No, no, no. I mean, what, what else do you have, right? And, and that's the law in Kentucky. One of the most restrictive states in the nation, according to, you know, pro-born, probably pro-lifers too. They'll say, yeah, Kentucky's great. But you're, you're not, even the abortionists, right, there may be some penalties for them, but even they are not prosecuted for murder. And even there's some loopholes. What are, they, what are they prosecuted for, I wonder? Uh, it's a felony, I think. Class D felony. They can have some jail time. They'll probably get out and a fine. Yeah. So. Might be worth it, depending on how successful the practice is. Yeah, and how good their lawyers are. Because yeah. the, the, the law has some loopholes as well. Chemical drugs, which can cause abortion, might be allowed if you can't detect it's a pregnancy. So anyway, the, I look at these things, and I just don't think God is going to bless these unjust weights and these perverse me- measures that... Hey, here's our, here's our law against abortion, but we're not going to punish the mothers and fathers who go and pay hitmen to murder their babies. So that, that's the fruit of Dobbs. And, and the point I'm bringing all this up is, are, are we fighting the right fight? Like the, the pro-lifers and the conservative movement said, oh, we, we just need to overturn Roe v. Wade. That, that's the solution, that, or at least a big part of it. And this is going to be a big victory. And so uh, there was a, uh, in Kentucky, the Yes for Life campaign, they praised Dobbs and said, quote, by overturning Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court remedied one of the darkest decisions in its history and sent a clear message for life. Kentuckians can vote on November 8th to make our Constitution unequivocally pro-life. By voting yes for life, we can ensure that there is no right to an abortion or funding for abortions in Kentucky's Constitution. Of course, it turns out 
Kentuckians didn't want that. Yeah. They prefer to have the babies murdered. But if you read, if you read the actual ruling in Dobbs, what it actually says is, uh, yeah, abortion is not a constitutional right, and abortion does not violate the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So the final paragraph, and I want to read this because I think a lot of people didn't actually look into what Dobbs says. The final paragraph of the syllabus of the ruling summarizes what I would say is the court's utter incompetence in matters judicial. And mm-hmm. it says this, abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. The court overrules those decisions and returns that authority to the people and their elected representatives, end quote. So, in other words, yeah. on the issue of abortion, the Supreme Court said, we don't know, and anything goes. Right? It's not unconstitutional if half the states uh, in, in the United States of America murder every child uh, that is conceived, and the other half uh, prosecute that as murder. So the question of whether humans should be murdered, the Republican justices argued, ought to be determined by the democratic process. So this is the great victory in the pro-life movement, and it was fought not on the basis of God's word. That's the point. It was not fought. God's word says you shall not murder. A, human li- a, a, a baby is a human life, and therefore must be treated, the taking of a human life via abortion must be treated as murder. That was not the tactic. That was not, the word of God was not used as the weapon. It, has, it was not the good fight. Overturning Roe v. Wade with Dobbs was not, I wouldn't say it's even a victory, right? It remains to be seen even if it will lead to more or less abortions. And I'll let you comment on this. But uh, ultimate, the main thing, though, it's an unjust, wicked ruling that is not based on the word of God. It simply invites more judgment on our state. And are we not getting it? I mean, now you have, okay, let's have Montana vote, votes it down. Montana had a, a referendum that if a baby is born alive after an attempted abortion, where is it here? Let me find this. If a baby is born alive after an attempted abortion. I'm afraid of what you're going to say. Yeah, in Montana, 52.6% of the voters voted against a law that would say if a baby is born alive after an abortion, you have to provide care for it. And 52.6% of voters in Montana said, no, we do not want that law. We want that baby to die. So, Well, how do you kill it now? I mean, it didn't work in the womb, so now the baby's born alive. What? I mean, is there a mean? What, what, what next? Has anybody thought about this? Slit its throat? I'm serious here. I'm, I'm sure they have, unfortunately. And, and we have uh, descended into barbarism. In, in North America. I mean, in Canada, we have euthanasia. Uh, I think 10,000 people killed over a course of a uh, one-year period. And we're, we're murdering our young, we're murdering our old, and we have descended in, into barbarism. But this is the fruit of, of Dobbs. And I, and I do think that this is part of God's judgment on fighting the battle with human means. And people want to say, well, Chris, you know, we've we got to take the victories when we can get them. I, it's not a victory. But what's a victory? Right. It's not a victory if it's not based on God's word and it honors Christ. And so this is the fruit of Dobbs. We've had, we've, we saw it with Kansas, I think it was in August. Kansas, even more so than Kentucky, said, no, we want abortion in our state. Thank you very much for overturning Roe. We're going we're gonna to yeah. take care of that ourselves. Now, now we have the opportunity to codify it into law. Right. Before we didn't necessarily have to do that because all, all the pro-lifers pretty much were backing off and just saying, as they said, year in, year out, Hey, you know what? We can't do anything until the courts say until the courts say we can. Right. Okay. Well, now the court says you can, 
And as you and I were talking about earlier, I, I wondered, it's one of the reasons why I did not address Dobbs actually from the pulpit. I address a lot of things from the pulpit, um, many of them political, of course. I didn't address Dobbs. My worry was, are the babies in greater danger now than they've ever been? Because now it could be codified into law, put in these states' constitutions, and now try to overturn it. You know, pro-lifers, bless your hearts, if you thought you had a problem with a a, a, a Supreme Supreme Court. Court decision... Wait till you get a state decision made through your legislature. You know, let's say if, if you're bicameral state, state reps, uh, state senate, and your governor, n- now, now try to save the babies. And then maybe on top of that, you get federal legislation, which, which is a Biden and federal. Which, which could happen. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely what they want. They want federal legislation. Why, if, if the, why didn't the court say, to your point, you don't like the decision, and you're the minority on that. Everybody else is like rejoicing, jumping up and down. Why didn't the Supreme Court say, you know what? It's murder and, sh- and, and should be treated as such. Why do they not say that in their, in their, in their, uh, in their decision? Instead, what we got was a, a kind of a ritual hand-washing here. Mm-hmm. It was bad law, right. right? We can't touch it. It's just too much for us. Right. Us nine justices, you know, with all our degrees and, and, you know, and we're called, and we're called justice. Think right. about it. We're called justices. Right. Supreme Court justices. We're supposed to administer justice. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know how you could uh, do justly and love mercy at the same time? And, and, and I'll just have to say, a lot of people think these two are opposite, right? Mm-hmm. That justice and mercy are opposites. Well, I'll tell you one way, one way you really can uh, combine the two, justice and mercy, stop killing babies. Right. Right, a very merciful thing for the uh, yeah. seventy million people that have been. I, I was in a discussion just recently. I was sitting with some folks, some dear pro-life folks, and they're trying to act in the county and so forth. And I appreciate what they're trying to do. And one woman was saying, you know, she tried to get someone in her church to uh, come to a meeting to talk about how to end abortion, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and the, he, she said, the guy said, ah, you know, I'm really uncomfortable talking about that. And I couldn't help but speak up and say, pretty bloody uncomfortable for the babies, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. What in the world? Right. Yeah. May God have mercy on us. I mean, and th- this, is, this is the judgment. And to your point on, on these Supreme Court justices, and I want to bring this back into our initial question because I think this is relevant. These Supreme Court justices, uh, you know, lauded by the conservatives, this, you know, this was the, the, the master... Uh, you know, the master move by Donald Trump to yes. bring these people in, and, and yeah. they've, they've overturned Roe. Um, their ruling was, was wicked and unjust, right? I mean, if, if this, what is the Supreme Court's use if it cannot even say that murder is, is wrong? Like, what does the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, I mean, what, what is it, how does that stuff mean anything if you can be murdered, right? And, and the Constitution can't speak to that. And so to present the issue as these justices did as a profound moral question, uh, and then for them to throw up their hands and say, we can't really figure this out. We're going to let you guys do it. That's to betray your judicial incompetence, right? It's not profound in that sense. It's simple. You shall not murder, right? That's Exodus 20 verse 13, right? But there was none of that. There's no, here's the chapter and verse. As Quite frankly, it used to be at some points in our history that you would say, 
okay, this is, this is wrong, and here's the reference in Scripture. Um, so the Supreme Court justices are compromised, and I think their ruling simply invited more judgment on us, and now we, we are experiencing that judgment by the people being dulled and numb to them personally voting, hey, let's murder more babies. So I, I, I do think, in, in, in one sense, you know, America is completely undone. I mean, we, are, we have descended to a point that, to Andrew Torba's point, it does seem that you, you cannot salvage this civilization. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Swanson also argues that, that it, it's too late. Our, our economy is, is destroyed. Um, the political left and right is, is corrupt as can be. I mean, and his focus is, okay, on the next generation. Mm-hmm. How do we train up the next generation? And that's kind of Torba's point. So I, I do give him some credit, and I, I agree with him a little bit, that, okay, what, what can we do for the next generation? But my question for Torba in general then, and the topic of this podcast is, okay, what, what then should we be teaching the next generation how to fight? Are we teaching them, hey, our generation tried it with Doug Mastriano. We tried it you know, with, with uh, Donald Trump or whoever, and, and it didn't work, and you guys just need to try harder. Or do we need to go back and say, no, the reason we have these failures and these judgments and the, reasons, the, the reason the left is destroying the nation is because, not because we didn't fight hard enough, but because we weren't even fighting the right battle. We, we abandoned God's law word and relied on rationality, humanism, uh, and said, well, we can't bring Christ's lordship into the civil realm and we're going to try to fight this battle on the left's terms, it's a losing battle. Yeah, I, I try to make this point from time to time. Daniel's prayer of confession in Daniel 9. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Judah was such a mess. They got carried away into captivity for 70 years, mm-hmm. despite the protests of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Uh, they, and and I, I, I may have mentioned this before, but Jeremiah had what should have been an easy job. You know, stop your... Stop your injustice, stop your bloodletting, stop your worship of, of, of idols. Because the ten tribes just to the north of you got carried away for the exact same thing, which is what you're doing, and you're gonna, it, the same thing is going to happen to you. It's the same God. And he is going to punish you for your wickedness. And as I've even said before, um, Habakkuk, I think, shows this, and other prophets show this as well, that what God eventually did to the people in punishment was not a bit different from what they were doing to each other already. Mm-hmm. Think of us here in the United States of America. If we were punished with like a real pandemic or a real foreign invasion and millions of adults died, mm-hmm. I, I hate saying this, Chris, but how would that be different? How would it be different from what we're doing right now to the babies? Mm-hmm. And, and we have less of an excuse with the babies. Uh, you, you know, Chris, if I was... Let's, let's say I'm driving down the road, and I get into a, uh, I don't know, a, what do you call it, road rage situation, right? Some other driver and I get into a situation, and I get killed, right? And it's determined later that I was innocent, let's say, that I did nothing uh, against the law, nothing wrong, mm-hmm. okay? You could say, well, that stinks that Joel got killed, but he might have thought a little bit better about getting into a road rage situation, Right? I mean, I wouldn't be guilty, quote-unquote, but I'd have some responsibility there. But we're killing babies that they, they just have no shot. Right. There, there's just no excuse to kill them, right. and, and that's what we're doing. 
we right now with however many we've killed 70 whatever whatever the number is how can we possibly say that we don't that we don't deserve what we've done mm-hmm. to the babies right how can we even say that and and speaking i just have to get this point in here real quickly chris even even talking about education the points you made a couple of weeks ago about doug Mastriano. Voting to increase the education budget mm-hmm. by a billion dollars at the time when people can't hardly wait to get out of public school, many of them, mm-hmm. not all of them, but many of them, and he's voting. What do, you, what do you think you're going to win mm-hmm. when that's your conservative candidate right. who wants to add money to the people who are destroying the next generation? What, what are you winning? Mm-hmm. You're not winning anything because you're not fighting anything. Uh, you could might say that you're fighting for the wrong side. Right. And, and even Ron DeSantis, and I've critiqued some of his stuff, the, he's still he's fighting for, you know, during, during the COVID pandemic, he's fighting, okay, let's get the kids back in the government schools instead of saying, okay, you know what, this is an opportunity to say the government school system is not the solution for our kids. Rather, get them back in there. We're going to make some laws that make it illegal to teach transgenderism at this age and younger, but you can do it over that age. Yeah. And, and now you've made the government school system this political uh, battleground uh, between left and right when that's, that's not the fight. That's not fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight would be Christ is Lord. Here's what his word says about the role of government and, and the role of family and education and the church. So... Psalm 2, right? The question I want to ask you, Joel, I know Psalm 2 is, is it's one of my favorite psalms. I think it's one of yours as well. Actually, uh, you could argue one of God's favorite psalms, right? Since yeah. it's uh, the second most quoted in the New Testament. So. And Psalm 110 is, is the most, right? The most, yeah. 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 So, so Psalm 2, so the question I have that I want people to consider, and I want you to answer this, is if we have governors, presidents, whoever, and they are not publicly confessing Christ and, and honoring him and seeking to establish an, uh, you know, their society and whatever role that God has given them explicitly based on his word, what is the only result of that? And I think that's where we, we totally, we, we miss the whole, the whole point here when we say, yeah, we're fighting the good fight, we're going up against the left. You know, here's our tactics and our strategy, and it's the GOP and this and that. And in none of that is there, yeah, there might be token reference, God is on our side. I mean, we hear that a lot. But then there's never explicitly, Christ is Lord of this state, of this county, of this township. And as king, we are to submit to him and what his word says we are authorized to do. I have not heard that. So my question to you is, Biblically, and in Psalm 2 specifically, what can we expect to happen if these are the men who are claiming to be fighting the good fight, and yet they are not explicitly honoring Christ, naming him, and then not just naming him, but doing what he says? Because Jesus said, why, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So what should we expect if that's what we have, uh, you know, even with someone like Ron DeSantis, who, you know, I don't know his personal faith, but publicly... And in practice, he's certainly not saying Christ is Lord of Florida, and we and I am only going to do what Christ has authorized me to do. What can we expect the consequences 
to be if these are the men who are fighting the good fight and they're not doing yeah, that? Yeah, we can only expect some things, the, the wrong things. Uh, I'll just say it this way. If Christ in his word, if God in his word has told us how to govern, for example, right, and we decide to do something different, it can only wind up wrong. We're not going we're, we're to come through some other backside door here and like, tra-la, you know, we went against the word of God, but it's working anyway. How about that? No, no, no. It's, it's built in wrong. It's guaranteed to be wrong. Psalm 2, you mentioned Psalm 2, intriguing. Uh, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's really intriguing to me because the kings of the earth, we pretty much know what the kings of the earth do, right? They kind of fight each other. Not kind of, they actually do. Right. But when it comes to the, to the real king, they can somehow find a way to uh, get together at, at this point. You know, you know, we have a lot more in common than we thought. We really hate each other's guts, but we hate the true king even more. Did we not see that when Christ, the true king, came and those who wanted him dead got together and they said, you know what, to, you know what, Pilate, if you don't kill this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Mm -hmm. And we have no king but Caesar. Wow. These are the people that on the surface hated Caesar, but they hated Christ more. Right. I I'm telling you, Chris, if we do not get this point out across, even to the Christian community, we're, we're, we're lost even worse than I thought, and I think we're in pretty bad shape. Right. Because I, I think a lot of people say, oh, I don't know, different religions, I'm okay with any one of them. No, no you're not. No, you're not. You will fight this king a lot worse than you'll fight your, your, your earthly kings, because this king calls you to repent of your sin, your wickedness, and believe in, his, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you don't do that, you will be punished. Oh, what a terrible king. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who, who, you don't think you have terrible kings now? Right. What, what, what do you think you're dealing with right now if you, have, if you have a problem with this king? But interestingly enough, we have an illustration of this. It, and, and some people are going to take Psalm 2 because it says later on that, that, that he that sits in the heavens will laugh. He's going to hold them in, der, in derision. And he's going to say to that, well, he, he's going to say, kiss the son, mm -hmm. lest he be angry, and you, right. you perish in the way. So this, this is a big thing here. The job of the kings is to kiss the son, meaning show homage to the son. That's what you did. You kissed the ring of the, of the, of the, uh, of the ruler. It was a public event. Mm -hmm. Is what people did. It wasn't kiss their hand, ring, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was a public event. And was, they were there to, there to show public commitment and obedience to Christ the King. Public. And you're saying today that is the same requirement on these civil magistrates. It, it is. And for those people who want to say, you know, because it says like to, verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance mm -hmm. and the ends of the earth for your possession. Clear statement, it's the whole earth. What's, what some people are going to say is, well, you know, um, this, is, this is sometimes in the future. You know, we can't, this, this, this isn't for now. A couple things I want to say about that. First of all, in the beginning of the, of, of the chapter here, the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together. There is an, we, we have that example in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Because when Christ came, Herod and Pilate, mm -hmm. who hated each other's guts, somehow found a way mm -hmm. to together take counsel against Christ. 
This happened in history. And it's even cited in, in the book of Acts. A- right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely is. But I want to go to the book of Acts even more because we have, we have, this, um, we, 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 we have another example here in, in Acts 4. And this is for the good folks who want to tell me, oh, this isn't now. You know, it doesn't matter. Christ doesn't hold the civil magistrate responsible as a civil magistrate. He just has to be a Christian in his personal life. Mm-hmm. But then he, publicly it really doesn't matter. Right. But for all those people that want to say, well, you know, um, you know this, this is all future, I, 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 there, there's something that I want to say to them, and that is this, that um, Psalm 2 is quoted in Acts 4 in the New Testament. Listen to this. Um, they pray, the, the early church prays for boldness. They don't, they don't pray, Chris, for an easy life, or they don't pray to be left alone. They pray for boldness. Man, is that not the thing we're lacking today? They don't we're, pray for a hedge of protect, protection? Not, not so much. <laughs> yeah. They pray for boldness. And, and that's the last thing we almost want. We, we don't pray for boldness. Right. It's, we, we just, yeah, like you say, you want, want to be protected. And, and, and we... We don't pray for boldness because, to your point, Chris, we're not fighting. Right. When you're not fighting, you don't need boldness. You don't need courage. Right. Just, yeah. Just tactics and maneuvering and posturing. Or how, boldness. How best to retreat. Right. <laughs> What's the best retreat here? And so from Acts 4.23, um, after a, a man was healed, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God. Now, this is their prayer. And with one accord said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Starts with the creator God. That's why this evolution creation debate is important. Mm-hmm. Because if we take that away from God, the God the creator, we also take away his authority. They start out recognizing the creator God in their prayer. And then they quote, Guess what? Psalm 2. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, they're praying, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, if that's all they did and just kind of quoted that in their prayer and then just went on, tra-la-la, well, then maybe I wouldn't have a case. But they apply it in their prayer. They apply it. Listen to this. After they say the kings of the earth took their stand, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, then they say this, next verse, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate are two buds who got together, right? right? With the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So can we stop with Psalm 2 doesn't apply? Right. Because apparently they thought it applied in Acts chapter 4. Right. So unless you're willing to educate them, why don't you let them educate you in the right. meantime? Right. So... If a ruler of the earth does not kiss the sun, right, pay homage to Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, we can expect that, what, what does it say, Psalm 2.8, lest you perish in the way, right? Yes. There will be judgment yes. that comes. And I think yes. that is, we're, we're spiritually blind to the reality of Christ's kingship and that there are consequences for dishonoring this king. Right. And that's what my critique of the conservative movement, if you will, is that it has not been fighting the right fight, right? It has not been fighting the fight against the enemies of Christ's kingdom. 
-hmm. It's been fighting. It's been fighting the fight against the left, so to speak, mm -hmm. but not in order to honor Christ, simply yes. to defeat the left. So, if we if we don't covenant with Christ, if we don't bow the knee to Him, if we don't honor Him, and if our rulers don't, and we don't want them to, apparently, there's only going to be judgment. So, as we near to a, to a close here, Joel, I think one of my concerns is that people might say, okay, well, hey, there's some good things happening w with, with this opposition to the left. You know, people mm -hmm. are seeing, people are starting to wake up mm -hmm. that they say, man, this, this transgender stuff is just right. nonsense. Yeah. And there's a, a stirring of people that say, well, we need to do something against this. Mm -hmm. a and my concern is that unless we go back explicitly to, to Scripture mm -hmm. and Christ's Lordship, all of that opposition to these crazy things will not accomplish anything because the best we can do is try to oppose it with another humanistic, man-made worldview and vision of government. And we can try to replace it with a, a big government that is going to be friendly mm -hmm. towards the family, yes. which generally doesn't work out. Yep. So I, just, I don't you know, want to be you know, negative already. There's a lot of things to be discouraged about. I have great hope that if we actually turn to Christ and His Word, we can have great, great reformation and revival. But I think we need to go back to, okay, what does the Bible say about life, about sin, about the civil government, about the family? And that's, that's what we need to be talking about. And the conservatives do not want to talk about that. Yeah. All they want to talk about is, hey, what victories have we had against the left? And we don't realize that all the while we're digging our own grave. Because as long as we continue to reject Christ, or, or even Psalm 2, even if we say, well, no, I don't reject Christ personally, but I'm not going to honor him in the civil realm, yeah. well, that is a rejection of Christ's lordship. And if yeah. we keep doing that, we're digging our own grave. Maybe we do end up defeating some transgender policy, but we're here we're, and there. We're gonna we're gonna die by you know. There's gonna be another way that, that the judgment comes on us because we have abandoned Christ. So that's that's my thought here. With have we fought the good fight? I, I say we have not. And as much as I can, can appreciate some things about Ron DeSantis, I don't think he's fighting the good fight. And I think for him to quote the scripture there, you know, is kind of a case in point that we're, we're leaning on the scripture. Uh, yeah. we're, we're using it as a political prop, which we've talked about before, but yet we won't stand on it as the, as the authority and the basis for our, whether it's, you know, our, our, our judgments, our rulings, mm -hmm. our voting. Then it always comes back into pragmatics or, or some humanistic philosophy. So I think Psalm 2 is, is if we don't honor Christ... Uh, we're going to perish. And that's, uh, is that not what we see happening? Pretty much looks that way. Think about it right now. Transgender, I mean, all the horrible things that are going on now. The, I, I, I want to give you an illustration, okay? Uh, I just talked to a, a pastor friend of mine. And he told me about a, a, someone that he knows. He said this guy, he's, he's all up in the years now. He's really kind of a tough guy. And a guy could fix things. A guy could do a lot. He said now he's got himself on disability, right? And he doesn't want to do anything anymore, right? And his wife got the idea, and she got herself on disability, right? So you have two productive people 
mm-hmm. who are not producing much anymore, mm-hmm. right? I think the enemies of our country are getting less and less concerned. <laughs> A whole country of people who can't produce, right. right? But it gets worse. They have a uh, t- uh, high school son, just graduated from high school. I, ju- I kid you not, Chris, I just heard this probably two hours ago in a conversation with my friend, my pastor friend. So my pastor friend asked him, he said, okay, oh, your son just graduated from high school. What's he going to do? I kid you not. You know what they told him? Well, we're going to try to get him on disability. Wow. The destruction's happening right in front of our, in front of our faces here. Right. I mean, what, a whole, whole nation on disability? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to worry about China. Right. Let, let's just worry about us. Right. Rotting on the tree and falling in a, smashing on the ground and spreading out all over the place. Right. So have, have we fought the good fight and are we fighting the good fight? As we come to a close here, Joel, um, what, what, what can we actually do, and especially as it relates to teaching, because I do think that, that's the issue here. We are a biblically illiterate people. Absolutely. And we, we do not want to apply the Bible to the civil realm. And uh, I'm not sure of all the reasons for that, but we've talked about before on this podcast that you know, the, the judgment we're experiencing from the left, if you will, and even from the right, is because we've abandoned God's law word. Right? That's what the refrain is in Daniel uh, in Nehemiah, we've cast your law behind our backs, and so the solution is to follow God's law. And so, you know, where, what, what do people need to learn, and where could people start if people are listening to this and they say, okay, well, how do I start to form actually a biblical worldview on civil government, and how, how can we actually fight this fight? What are the things we should be fighting for? And what are the standards we should be using? I know this, this could go on for hours and hours, but just maybe, you know, a brief, you know, the people that say, hey, I'm interested in this, maybe some things you've read uh, or other advice you have for people as they think about these issues. Sure. I'd like to first uh, start out by talking about the perspicuity of the Word of God. Now, that's a nice big word for everybody. But we, we have all these translations and we have access to the Scriptures Online, we have um, all, all kinds of copies. But what I'm often finding out, Chris, is some people will basically, they don't want to say it up front, but after a discussion about it, and there's nothing wrong with discussing the Word of God, and we have Acts, Acts 15 where you had quite a, uh, mm-hmm. quite a battle, if you will, over what the Scriptures actually say. But they actually did come to a conclusion. What we're doing today, in my view, as, as I've had discussions with folks, is they'll say at the end, well, you know what? It's just your interpretation. What they're really saying is, we have a Bible, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really say anything. It, it's, it says whatever you want it to say. It is really, it's 66 books in a lot of words. It's really no words. It's really 66 books with absolutely nothing at all. Mm-hmm. You just write in what, what you want. Mm-hmm. This is humanism, secular humanism. I'm God, bringing it right to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And the perspicuity of the word of God is, is, by perspicuity, we're saying it actually says something. It's clear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It says something clear that you can understand. Right. And I want to go back with that to Micah 6.8. I want to concentrate on the first phrase. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Mm-hmm. And that is where I would argue that the average Christian, and like you, Chris, I'm, I'm more upset at the Christian church than I am at John Fetterman right now. Mm-hmm. J- John Fetterman is, what, is, is the result of the Christian church. I, 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 
He's what, he's what we deserve. He, he, he's better than what we deserve. I mean, I don't, right. I, I don't know which is worse, a, a, a Josh Shapiro who's a bad guy who's really smart mm-hmm. or a John Fetterman who's a bad guy and I don't know if he – I mean, I, would, I wouldn't want either of those guys babysitting my grandchildren for any more than two seconds. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't trust them in, in that. Mm-hmm. But we've got people that we deserve because we have said we have a better idea. Micah here, here saying, he has shown you, oh man, what is good. In other words, it does exist. It's our job to read the Bible and understand it, but he has shown it to us. And we have said he is not. Mm-hmm. Or we've said, maybe, worse yet, perhaps, or just as bad, okay, so what if he has shown us? We have a better idea. Mm. In both cases, it's a deadly road we're going down. So the first thing we must do Chris, we must become conversant again with the Word of God. We must read it. We must teach it. And if we are into a church, if you are in a church where the Word of God is disparaged or mocked or compromised, you need to get out of there. you you, you got to get out because he has shown you what is good. And if your pastor has a better idea, don't be surprised <laughs> if the pastors are going against the Word of God. Let's right. not be surprised that the politicians are. Right. That is where we definitely must start. You know, Christ said to the Sadducees there, you, you do error knowing not the Scriptures nor the power. the power of God. Right. We don't see the power of God. You know why? They don't know the Scriptures. Yeah. And that, that would be the indictment, I think, against, against all these leaders in the conservative movement. They don't know the Scripture and they don't know the power of God. So they're going to govern according to their humanistic philosophy. And if they're going to say, well, I, I like the Bible... But that can't actually work. They don't, they don't know the power of God. That God makes you know, great changes via his word, and we are to be faithful and stand on his word. And uh, we're not doing that. We're saying the scriptures don't apply, and God's not powerful enough to, to change our culture. Chris, I can't help but keep asking the question. We're worried about the character of the candidates. Right. What about the character of the electorate? Right. What about our character? And the people that are being elected... And I agree, there's all kinds of shenanigans going on. I get it. And I've said oftentimes, I don't even talk about voting anymore. I talk about casting a ballot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you, know, you cast a ballot when you go in uh, to, the, to the polling place. That's you cast a ballot there. I don't know when the vote gets counted. I don't even know who's counting it or whatever. Aside from all that, what, what is the character of the electorate? And, and, and the ghastly people that are running the country... How did they get there? Is it all just a, 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 a large uh, coup? Mm-hmm. Or have they gotten there with the permission of the electorate? Mm-hmm. And worse off, Chris, with the, with the permission of the church. Right. Well, I think it's hard to argue against that because where has, been, where has the Christian voice been saying our nation should be ordered according to Christ's word? It has not been there. It has not been there for a long, long time. It was there at one time. And I would say it was there, and I, yeah. well, I would say we started to abandon that uh, after the Puritans with, with the, even some of the founding generation. Yeah. Yeah. But be that as it there's, may. There's enlightenment mixed yeah, in there. Yeah, certainly. Be that as it may, it's certainly uh, been a long time uh, from today that anybody, in the, you know, generally speaking, there's been faithful people here and there, but until we can acknowledge that as a people... And go back to the Word of God. This is we're going we're to keep fighting the wrong fight. And people are putting a lot of effort. And I mean, I, I applaud. I, you know, in a sense, the the money, the time, the resources spent on trying to defeat the left. 
which again is, is not a, a the left is not something that I, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, but Chris, what do we what do we replace? Let's say we defeat the left. Mm-hmm. Let's say the conservatives defeat the left. Mm-hmm. What are they going to put in place? You know what I'm going to say? They're going to put in place. They're going to put in place the left left's agenda from about ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's what we've talked about. And what we know they won't put in place unless there's a, a change of heart is Christ's plan for the nations. And, and that's why, you know, people are fighting the fight. They're fighting a fight. They're definitely fighting a fight. Ron DeSantis is, is fighting a fight. No question about that. And he's taking flack and heat. Uh, he's fighting a fight. I just don't think he's fighting the good fight. I think he's fighting the wrong fight. And if he would repent and, uh, of that publicly, and again, maybe, you know, personal faith of that, I don't know him. But if he would turn from that and change his mind, that's what repentance means, change your mind, and he would say, okay, I'm going to fight the fight uh, that Christ has called me to fight, then we'd start to see some real change. And, uh, you know, who knows how that would play out, but we won't know unless we have people that are faithful. So we need to fight the good fight and, and finish the course that Christ has laid out in his word. We can't take that phrase and take language from the Bible and apply it. This is what happens. Take the language from the Bible, apply it to the right's agenda against the left, and then try to, you know, use that that language to garner emotion. It's just, it's disturbing. So final word for you, Joel, and then we'll wrap up here on uh, fighting the good fight and, and the path forward. And we, we need to do some course correction, I think, uh, in America here. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, I, I, would, I would want to quote for you Amos chapter 8. If I can find it here, give me a second, and I will. And because it's, it's I, w- I would argue it's much later than we think. And here is the verse coming up with it right about now. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will spend a famine, send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. Now, why would he, why, why would he say that? Um, and it's simple. Why would God not send a famine of the hearing of the word? If, if we're turning against it anyway, mm-hmm. why not? And really, that's where we are. That famine of the words of the Lord is the curse that we're underneath right now. And it really starts, Chris, with the pulpits, quite frankly, but it doesn't stop there. It starts with the pulpits, but it's to go into the civil magistrate. If God is a God of justice, and he defines justice, how can a civil magistrate possibly dispense justice if he doesn't do it by the word of God? How can he do that? Mm -hmm. I don't know any way. You know what he can do? He can only dispense injustice. Right. right. Wicked men do not understand justice. Yeah. Proverbs tells us that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joel, for your time again and your insight on this. Much more we could say. Hopefully, uh, we will encourage you at least to think deeply about this, go to the Word of God, and uh, consider these issues. Uh, for more information on uh, Joel Saint and Independence Reform Bible Church, go to irbc.church. That's right. right? Uh, your sermons are, uh, most of them are on sermon audio. Yes, if you want to listen to to Pastor Joel here. For more information about the Lancaster Patriot, go to thelancasterpatriot.com. Subscribe to our paper. Uh, comes once a week right to your house. Tell your neighbors about us and uh, continue to subscribe to this podcast and continue to try to bring you commentary on the news from maybe a different perspective than what you're used to. So until next time, God bless and Godspeed. <laughs>